This is a podcast extra from Nature, hosted by Adam Levy. Is our universe beautiful? Is there beauty in its underlying physics, just as we see beauty in a Monet painting or a natural landscape? I'm in the studio with Frank Wilczek, theoretical physicist and Nobel laureate. Frank has just published a book called A Beautiful Question, Finding Nature's Deep Design. In it, he asks, does the world embody beautiful ideas? In other words, are the fundamental laws of physics that describe our universe beautiful? Frank, what initially prompted you to ask this question? It grew out of a lecture that I gave at uh, Cambridge University at Darwin College. They were having a series on beauty, and they asked me to talk about quantum beauty. So uh, I did, and then I, I took it to heart. I, it started resonating in my mind. It's uh, a challenge to relate quantum to beauty. And I got to thinking, you know, it really does make sense. And it's something that one can convey visually as well and, and gives unusual ways of looking at things. And I found myself just getting deeper and deeper and ultimately revisiting questions that got me into science in the first place. Now, I don't want to spoil the whole book, but I think that for most people who know you and know about the subject, they might suspect that you feel the universe does indeed operate in a beautiful way. Well, yes, not only do I feel that, but I think I've demonstrated it. It's not just a lot of loose talk. <laughs> I, I have definite documentation and ideas about what the world is on the one hand, and one can get evidence about what beauty is by studying the history of art and things that people have, in fact, found beautiful. And then you can compare to see if there are common threads. And of course, not everything that artists think is beautiful is embodied in science, nor does physics embody all possible forms of beauty. But there is a profound common ground so throughout the book, we're discussing beauty, and the title of the book is A, a Beautiful Question. What do we mean by beauty? What, what does beauty mean? Well, beauty in common usage is a, is a kind of vague word. It has many different meanings. I mean, there's sexual attraction. There's an attraction of possible living spaces and landscapes and so forth. But part of beauty, surely, is things that people have found pleasurable t to do, to contemplate and make uh, and expressed in works of art. Why do we find them beautiful? That's also an interesting question. And I have some ideas about that that are expressed in the book based on uh, the, the fact that evolution wants to encourage us to find patterns. One form of thing that evolution wants to re reward us for and therefore we find beautiful is making successful predictions that allow us to get around in the world. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fact that we find fundamental laws which tells us how the world works beautiful is not entirely a coincidence. Throughout history, people have yielded fantastic results by looking for beauty in the world around us. But there have also been cases where beauty has misled us in yes. some way. So, for example, looking at the motion of the planets, it seems beautiful that they should be perfect circles. We now know, of course, that's not true. They're ellipses. And do you think the search for beauty in the world around us is necessarily a productive quest? It's not logically necessary that beautiful ideas should 
be embodied in the, the fundamental laws, but it happens to be true. But, however, it's not a simple thing. We have we have to let our concept of beauty evolve as we learn, if we want it to match the world, as we learn how the world works. There's a dialogue between what might be beautiful and what is actually there. And in the case of the motions of the planets. That's a wonderful case, okay, because uh, so original, so going back to people like Plato, uh, they thought perfect motion would be uniform motion in a circle. So, And those are the main patterns that one sees in the stars, for instance, and the motion of the sun. But the planets are a complication, and people had a hard time fitting that to the model of uh, a uniform motion in a circle. Uh, they tried and found and did fit the data, fit the observations with complicated systems of epicycles and so forth. Anyway, skipping ahead to Kepler, uh, he was very much inspired by this idea of motion in circles and by Plato's ideas about symmetry and perfection of the mathematical laws. But the, the, the fruitful philosophy here is trust in beauty but verify, just hoping that things will be beautiful or asserting they're beautiful is not doing justice to the best we can aspire to. It's not the realization of the laws that's necessarily the most beautiful thing, but the laws themselves. Now, our best description of the beauty of the world around us right now is what many people call the standard model. You don't like the name the standard no, model. No, it's, it's 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 a really boring name for, you know, probably the greatest achievement of of human culture. So I call it the core. So so where does the term core theory come from? It just comes from my brain. Okay. <laughs> uh, and what has the core theory revealed about nature's beauty, which simply wasn't perceived about the world around us before? Most striking is when we get down to the really fundamental laws. You know, the laws that govern quarks, the laws that govern gluons and photons. and uh, The equations that govern those are equations that have enormous amounts of symmetry. So there are many, many ways you can transform the equations so they look different, but they have the same content. So this striving for beauty, this hope that they would be beautiful, is actually just true. You know, that. At, at the moment in physics, we're in a really interesting position because the standard model or core theory, however you prefer to call it, we know that it's incomplete. We yes. know that there are some things which are missing from it. So we know we have to search for something. Yes. Uh, and there are many people coming up with what are generally called beyond standard model theories. How much does aesthetics go into judging these theories when, at, the, at least at the moment, there's not any experiment to choose between them? Well, for me, aesthetics is extremely important, partly because I bet on it already in some sense. Uh, I think the most plausible proposals for getting beyond the standard model are, are deeply based on aesthetic principles. In fact, I know they are because I made them. <laughs> the, uh, uh, one is called axions, which is based on cleaning up the equations, making them more symmetric so that they do justice to what otherwise would be a coincidence within the existing core theory, sort of like uh, Copernicus 
explaining a coincidence by changing the existing theory of planets. This is not as big an adjustment, but but by changing the equations of the core theory a bit, you can do justice to something that seems to be a coincidence. Otherwise, that leads to the existence of new particles. When people hear about discoveries of new particles, it it can sound like, well, these physicists are having fun. They're just, but you know, it's it's like zoology. You discover new creatures, or astronomy, where you discover new stars. But but it's different because what's important about these particles is not that they're more particles. I mean, that's interesting, but but it's that the fact that they lead us to new principles and more deeper insight into the nature of reality. How how do you feel about theories which are beautiful in their simplicity and in the way they describe the world, but are fundamentally unprovable. What do you think we do with such theories which present beauty to us but don't give us an opportunity to look for that beauty in the world around us? Well, we try to do better. So if you have ideas that you think are beautiful, try to relate them to reality because then they'll be not only... They'll be more, more beautiful, first of all, but secondly, powerful and maybe helpful. Can you think of any cases where discovering a deeper truth in the universe hasn't led to something more elegant and more beautiful, has led to something maybe a bit messy or a bit more clumsy? Well, there are, there are still works in progress, and, it's, and we can't tell what the end result is going to be. At present, uh, there are lots of loose ends in our description of the fundamental forces. The, the worst, I think, is the fact that there seem to be these extra fundamental particles that don't have any obvious purpose nor in any obvious pattern to them. Uh, so together with the electron, there's a muon, which is a very similar particle, but very just heavier. And then in 1973 was discovered a tau lepton, which is yet another one, which is just, again, the same thing, but heavier. And same thing for quarks. So that doesn't appear very beautiful at this point. Whether it ever will, well, I don't know. We'll have to see. Now, what other creatures find beautiful? Their aesthetic tastes might be very different to ours, and yes. you mentioned a couple I've, of different I, creatures I, I've in the book. I've thought about that a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in the book, you discuss the possibility of, say, superintelligent spiders and how easy they might come across the idea of fields, for example, that permeate all of space. That's right. They would find it very natural to think of space filled with materials that vibrate and transmit forces, which uh, physics had a hard time coming to. Uh, I think spider, intelligent spiders would have had found it much easier. Intelligent birds would have found it much easier to understand inertia. And the uh, in, intelligent dogs, I think, or intelligent animals whose primary sense is smell would have, would have a very, very hard time coming to anything like our modern understanding of physics. Within this, there's the idea that there's one description of the universe that is more correct than others. Can you imagine a core theory devised by some an alien creature with very different aesthetic taste to us, which we would find hideous, it's but describes the world just as well? It's a stretch, but... Well, in fact, we're, we may be evolving towards a, a condition where we have silicon helpers, where the helpers become more intelligent and creative than we are, uh, then sort of the rules of the games might change. What, what is regarded as 
elegant, what is regarded as simple might change because if you can do billions of calculations per second and have enormous memory, boiling things down to a something that we can do in our head uh, might not seem so important. You know, so uh, equations that humans regard as complicated and not pretty because they're not comprehensible, a being that could, could compute very, very fast and keep a lot in its head, so to speak, uh, might find perfectly satisfactory. I think for many people, the, the, this beauty in the world around us leads to a sense of awe and wonder and what some people would call a sense of spirituality in the world around us. I, I know the, the last word in the title of the book is the word design. Do you, do you personally have a sense of spirituality and does that inform your physics? Well, that, actually part of writing this book has been to develop such a sense, I guess. Uh, you know, design is kind of a loaded word. I, I used it to reach out, I hope. And I think it's important not not just to tell people that they're stupid or wrong, but to invite them in to say that, okay, this can add to your appreciation of the world. And But it's also a reflection of what I discovered in this investigation, that it, if I was going to design a world, I would do, I hope I would be smart enough to use some of these principles of uh, using simple rules that are, are uh, empowering in the sense that they, you can build on them like Lego blocks click together and make exuberant structures based on simple rules. It's a shame because in a similar way to how many consider art and science to be kind of distinct yes. separate things, I think many consider science to be the enemy of awe and wonder, but it really no, comes through no. in the book. Yeah, that, that, that I, I definitely want to oppose the notion of what I, what I call... Uh, crude reductionism. We do have equations that describe the world, and it's very plausible that for practical purposes, we've got the equations that can do justice to most of experience. But that doesn't, that's not reduction. That's an insight. And what we really learn is not that the world is reduced by having this description, but that equations, that matter has potentialities that aren't at all obvious. And knowing that and being able to build on it is not a reduction, it's an empowerment. Do you think researching this book has in any way changed your perception of what beauty is or how the world works? Uh, yes, indefinitely. Uh, well, it hasn't led me to new equations, but it has led me to new ways of visualizing uh, how we can put the existing laws of the core into images. Uh, using especially our sense of color is an excellent model for extra dimensions, for instance. And it was a revelation to me. And really, I didn't, I didn't think that the laws could be visualized very concretely in colors that change in, in space. And then on the other hand, people have found the, precisely those things beautiful was a revelation to me. I hadn't thought about that before. And to me, it's a it's a it's quite a synthesis. That was Frank Wilczek, who's based at the MIT Department of Physics. His book, A Beautiful Question, Finding Nature's Deep Design, is out now. To check out a review of the book, head on over to nature.com forward slash books and arts. I'm Adam Levy.